Welcome to Law School Podcaster, your source for inside information and advice on the law school application process. I'm Diana Jordan. You've applied to law school, you're waiting to learn your fate, and when you finally hear back, you find you have to wait some more. It could top the list as the most frustrating position to be in, admissions purgatory, or better known as the wait list. What does that mean? And what should you do? Some schools advise the best thing to do now is nothing at all, while other schools say you can send periodic updates. If you've been forced into limbo and want to know how to get out, two top law school deans and two admissions consultants are here to help you plan a strategy. We'll find out what to send to the admissions committee, how often you should contact them, and what else you should know to help you move off the wait list and onto the admitted students list. First, it's important to keep in mind what being on the wait list means and what it doesn't. As law school admission consultant Anne Levine tells us, so many times people think a waitlist letter is the death knell. Oh, I got it's like it's a rejection, and it's so not. Straightforward answers are sometimes easier to deal with, like, yes, you're accepted, or no, we don't want you. At least you know how to proceed. Being told maybe yes or maybe no inevitably leaves you guessing. In this show, we'll hear how you can read between the lines of a waitlist letter. You'll learn exactly what actions you can take that will lead to your successful admission to law school, and you'll also hear what not to do. You might find some comfort knowing you've got quite a lot of company in admissions purgatory. Law schools report they receive more applications each year, overflowing with qualified candidates, leaving a lot of applicants on the wait list. Cornell Law School probably saw the biggest surge in applications this year, a whopping 52 percent over last year. While Cornell's associate dean of admissions, Richard Geiger, tells us that other than the conventional wisdom that when the economy sours, applications to law school rise, there's no way of knowing why the leap in the number of applicants was so huge. However, Dean Geiger does know that only a few applicants will be chosen off the waiting list. Well, I think most law schools plan on using the waiting list to fine-tune their entering class. That's, that's their main purpose for having it there, uh, as sort of a, you know, a buffer, if you want to think of it that way. So most places aren't going to plan ever to be taking a lot of people off the waiting list. That's just... You know, that's not in their heads when they're thinking of, you know, using a waiting list. I always like to leave a little bit of room for people to, to take people off the waiting list uh, if it's possible. Uh, this is a very unpredictable business, so it's, it's really hard to determine that in advance. Graham Richmond is co-founder and CEO of Clear Admit and offers law school applicants one-on-one -on -one guidance through the law school admissions process. He confirms that there are more applicants being waitlisted these days. Since the downturn in the economy has taken place, um, i.e. the you know, 2008 application year, many of the top schools have been waitlisting even more candidates than usual. Um, and by the, you know, those top schools, I'm thinking of, kind of Stanford, Columbia, Penn, Harvard. Um, and I think that it's probably... In response to the assumption that top applicants may be more inclined in a tough economy um, with sort of uncertain post-JD job prospects to accept scholarship money from less competitive schools. And I also think the schools are probably under some pressure to, you know, make sure they're enrolling a, a full class, right? And so they, the, the best hedge is to kind of waitlist a lot of people so that you know that even if more folks drop off than you'd expected, you've got plenty of reserves on the waitlist that you can kind of go to to stock your class. The number of candidates on the waitlist varies from school to school, and at each school, the number can vary from year to year, as we hear from Bill Hoy, Associate Dean for Admissions and Student Affairs at Duke University of Law. Last year was an interesting year in that we were unable to make any offers from our waitlist. But the year before, we offered about 75 
candidates a, a space in the class from the wait list. So, and then in, in, in other years, it's been, you know, 10 to 12 or 25. So it varies tremendously from year to year. In part, it's driven by behavior of candidates. So, for instance, as we see more applicants to law school applying to a larger number of schools, that process that, that applicants are, are, are using affects uh, the, the models that we use to predict enrollment. They might, those models might become less reliable for us. And in order to protect over, uh, from over-enrolling, uh, if we have a sense that, that uh, a typical applicant is applying to 20 schools this year, let's say, as opposed to perhaps 10 or 15 last year, uh, then that might influence how many offers of admission we feel we can safely make. And we might, in fact, build a solid wait list uh, so that we can come back to very strong candidates if, if in fact, we under-enroll. And Hoy says with only 160 seats in the fall and 7,000 applications for those seats, the admissions committee is making fine distinctions between applicants. Dean Hoy says many applicants have a solid undergraduate record with great LSATs, so it may come down to judgment on writing or how much time it appears they've spent on the application. Being on the wait list may feel like purgatory for students, but for the law schools, there is an additional value to seeing how students respond to that challenge. The process of applying to law school is, in my view, uh, an advocacy challenge. And so part of what we're looking for is whether one can, in a concise, clear, compelling manner, uh, present uh, information that uh, persuades us that they merit admission to the law school. So even with a great record, it's sometimes the case that we conclude uh, this is not someone that we, want, we can admit immediately because we have so many other uh, very, very strong applicants who have made um, a really terrific effort in their applications. And so those, uh, those folks might, might end up on the wait list. You might wonder why you ended up on a wait list. Well, the law schools have good reasons for using the wait list, as we hear from Dean Geiger, who says there are a lot of reasons candidates get waitlisted. One thing I can say for sure is that it's never because we have any doubts about their ability to succeed. I mean, if we have doubts about somebody's ability to thrive here as a student, then at Cornell Law School, at least, we're going to deny them. We're not going to put them on the waiting list. It doesn't have anything to do with our sense of their uh, ability. What it has more to do with is our size. You know, we're a relatively small law school here, and uh, we can't take a lot of the really good applicants that we see. Admission consultant Anne Levine, who owns LawSchoolExpert.com and is the author of The Law School Admission Game, Play Like an Expert, has another perspective. The law schools are gauging likelihood of attendance. Because U.S. News & World Report partially grades schools takes into account acceptance rates, Law schools are really protecting their yield, which is the number of people they admit versus their number of applications overall. So law schools don't want to hand out precious acceptance letters to people they don't think will attend. When choosing off the wait list, the admissions committee will likely pick someone who will jump at the chance to go. That means schools generally want to see your enthusiasm unless the waitlisted school falls into the don't call us, we'll call you group. Consultant Graham Richmond says there are some schools to which you should not write a letter of continued interest. If you're on the wait list at Harvard and you write a letter saying, you know, Harvard's the right place for me, they're not interested in that. You know, they, they would only want a letter that kind of outlines, uh, you know, some spectacular accomplishment or something that you've done since applying that you thought would be 
um, worth mentioning to them. Many schools will fall under what might be called the Show Me You Love Me group, where they're interested in hearing updates of what you've been doing. Some schools are more coy about hearing from waitlisted candidates and fall somewhere in between. Richmond says if you read and follow the instructions in your letter carefully, you'll know right away if the school wants to hear from you or not. One of the kind of um, cardinal rules of admissions just generally is follow instructions. And so I would say, look at the waitlist letter, make sure that, you know, you know whether you have to opt in or if you're automatically opted into the waitlist, make sure that you sort of read their terms and, you know, when it comes to what you can send in, whether you can send in, you know, a supplemental recommendation letter or if they'll take a new test score or if they'll take a, an essay about your fit with the program versus an essay just updating them about your candidacy, et cetera. For example, at Cornell, if you're on the wait list, Dean Geiger advises you to stay involved in the application process. A reasonable expression of interest or an update on their circumstances is absolutely a good thing to do because it tells the school that you remain interested, that if you get a call later in the year that chances are good that the answer is going to be yes. The waitlist letter itself may be pretty generic, but at Cornell, Dean Geiger says you will have plenty of guidance. We give them a sense of, you know, the timeline that they can expect, uh, a general sense of how they should think about the waiting list, and we invite them to, you know, submit additional materials if they'd like. And also at Cornell, we're a little bit different from other places because we actually invite them to uh, have an interview. So we offer up an interview, and that's, you know, something that if somebody is on our waiting list, I strongly encourage them to take us up on that offer. If the school does want to hear from you, you can start planning your strategy to get off the wait list. And the first step is to tell the admissions committee that you would love to be a student there. You can do that by sending your top choices a letter of continued interest or pick up the phone. If you get waitlisted, check your letter for the phone number to admissions. And Anne Levine says, line up that quality FaceTime at the school you want to attend. You know, let the admission office know you're there, you're coming, you want to sit in on a class. You know, be professional, talk to the students who are sitting around you, talk to the students who are hanging out on the quad. You know, get names of people, <laughs> follow up with them, introduce yourself to the professor whose class you're sitting in on. You know, if you have an area that you really have a demonstrated interest and, and expertise in, find the professor at that school that shares that expertise that you would want to work with and study with and contact that person. Um, you know, be a professional. Start networking. Just sitting back and hoping and praying is not going to get you in off any wait list. That I can guarantee. And Richmond says with this, timing is everything. I think that it's actually a really great idea, even before you submit a letter of continued interest, to go to campus. And then when you go to write your letter about why you're interested in this program and why it's the perfect fit for you, you're going to have so much great, sort of, data, so many great data points to draw upon, and and you know people whose names you can mention that you spoke with. Um, and I would also say, don't hesitate to let the school know that they're your top choice. You know, some people say, oh gosh, every candidate's going to say that, but it you know it can be effective to just be straight up and say, look, if I'm admitted, I'm coming here. At Duke, Dean Hoy says he can't remember a time he admitted a candidate from the waitlist whom he had not heard from at some point in the process. He says they're looking for candidates who know how to advocate in professional ways. Make certain that, that Duke knows that you're interested. And that can be by writing a, a carefully crafted uh, note to us that it expresses your interest with some detail. A well-written letter gets our attention. And, and so I would encourage one not, not to just uh, shoot off a quick, breezy email, but rather think about how you want to construct that message. Uh, it should be um, written in a business format and, and written very capably. That gets into your file immediately so that as we continue the review of the application, that new information would be available to us. It would also be really unusual for us ever to 
admit a student from the wait list who uh, was finishing their last year in college, and uh, yet we had not received any updates on their uh, on their performance in that final year. So very, very important for a candidate who's still in college this year to submit grades from the fall semester, and if they're on the wait list throughout the summer, to submit an updated transcript that shows their spring semester grades. And Levine says it is wise to contact the law school when your status changes for whatever reason. If you took on a new internship, you're learning a new language, you're, you spent the last three months traveling, whatever it is, write a letter to the law school and let them know. The update is important. It might show an aspect of your application that, you know, it might add to something that you didn't initially share with the school, but it also just shows the school you haven't forgotten about them. You didn't just put in your application and walk away. But I do then caution people against stalking law schools. You know, there, there, there can be a fine line there. She says you want to be professional, mature, and understanding. You don't want to show up at every event and hog the same, you know, person's time every time. You don't want to spend 20 minutes talking to someone in a law school forum because you have to understand that person's job at the forum is to talk to a lot of people. So there, there's some sense of, you know, at some point, people do cross the line and become annoying or weirdos. And you have to sort of watch that because a lot of times it just stems from normal anxiety but can come off really terribly. You also want to be careful with what you send to the schools. You don't want to send junk, you don't want to be a pest, and you don't want to bombard them with meaningless stuff. Think strategically here. Dean Geiger says Cornell doesn't want a stack of letters that say the same thing, but... If they've got something to update, if they've had a promotion, if they've got spring semester grades or something like that, that's a good reason to send a note along. And that could justify maybe more than one or two, but one or two is going to be sufficient. Taking an honest look at your application comes next. You weren't accepted for a reason. The law schools generally won't tell you why you were waitlisted, but Graham Richmond says that doesn't mean you can't make a good guess. Most intelligent candidates, if they step back and read their file, maybe take another close look at the school's you know, kind of admitted students' profile, they'll probably be able to identify where they fell short. Um, and that's the first step, really, in building your waitlist strategy. It's to kind of try to understand where you might have fallen short. You know, is it that your LSAT's a few points below their average? Is it that your GPA's not so hot? Or um, do you think that you sort of rushed through the personal statement or didn't do a good job convincing the school of your fit, et cetera? So I think that it's very rare for a school to tell you right out what it is, but I think if you're smart, you can sort of go through your file and figure it out. You might also be tempted to take the LSAT in June, but Levine says it is not the best idea. If you're sitting on Northwestern's wait list with a 165 and you get a 170, as happened to one of my clients two years ago, then North, when you tell the law school, by the way, I just got a 170, you're in. I mean, not every time. There's no guarantee. But there's also a risk. You could not increase your score and you could get dropped from the wait list as a result. You know, so it, lots of things can happen. I just urge people to, to use common sense and not just take an LSAT for the sake of taking an LSAT. I actually think taking an LSAT is least of what you can do off a wait list. If you've been waitlisted, a law school thinks you're qualified to attend the school. So now it's up to showing what else you bring to the table. Dean Hoy agrees, saying that most candidates are graduating and celebrating about the time they would be taking the June LSAT, so it may not be the best use of time. I'm less sure that taking the LSAT again in June is such a great idea that by the time we get scores from that sitting, it may be a bit too late for us to consider that. While students may want to know their ranking on the waitlist, that's not likely to happen. Most schools don't place waitlisted candidates in any sort of order, so you have no idea who's going to be called next. The diverse schools have different ways to evaluate the waitlist, and it's extremely variable how schools choose students off the waitlist. Dean Geiger at Cornell explains. There may be situations where, you know, you're trying to make little adjustments in the look of your entering class. 
For example, we're a national school uh, at Cornell, so we try to have students from all over the country represented here. So if there were a situation where a particular state or region was for some reason underrepresented in, in what looked like it was going to be our entering class, we might tip the scales a little bit while we're looking at waiting list applicants to try to deal with that so that we made sure we had you know, the look uh, that we wanted in that entering class. So that might be something that might affect uh, how we evaluated candidates. From a candidate's perspective, you know, they can't know that. At Duke, for example, Dean Hoy says they encourage hearing from students. The admissions office at Duke views this as a student's advocacy challenge, and they're constantly reviewing new information submitted. Hoy says this period of time is dynamic for admissions officers at Duke. Well, it is, because uh, we're gathering new information about our applicant pool. So even at this point in time, we're analyzing data, we're looking at the, the decisions we're making, and trying to make some assessment whether we can go back to candidates who we've already placed, for instance, on our priority reserve list and offer some space. Uh, And then once deposits come in, we are going to understand at that point precisely how much space we might have. And uh, we're also uh, hearing from candidates uh, um, with new information. And so we're constantly making some reevaluations of files and making preparations to invite new applicants into the program. And Levine says schools will often use the waiting list to balance out the class, the sexes, diversity, geographic representation. I'm going to be real honest with you. A lot of times what they think they're missing will be a GPA or LSAT threshold. And so they might look, okay, our LSAT median would be pretty low if this is our class. So we might grab the people off the wait list with the higher LSATs or vice versa with GPAs. Uh, there could be any number of factors. And it really depends on how sophisticated the analysis is that the uh, law school admission dean or director is performing as to, you know, what they are looking for. And there's really not a lot of way of knowing, but it can't hurt to be the person who's showing interest. So the waitlist puts candidates in a delicate situation. You want to show enthusiasm, but you don't want to bother the admissions committee. You have to use your judgment and gauge when you're pushing enough and when it's too much. Most importantly, if a school where you're waitlisted is really your top choice, you'll have to stay the course throughout this uncertain period. You can hear from Cornell any time up until classes begin, so stay flexible in case you get a late offer. Last year, Cornell accepted 15 students off the waitlist. There's not you know, a lot of offers made to people off the waiting list, especially uh, at a small school. Uh, so the chances of getting an offer aren't that great, but... You know, I always tell people the longer they can hang in there and if they're able to retain some flexibility, the better their chances of getting an offer. Dean Hoy says there's no rhythm or cycle from year to year to how they use the wait list. He admits that it's a mystery to him. In some years, there's a lot of space and others... Not so much. So the important thing is if you're very interested in a school and you're on that wait list is if you can to remain as flexible as possible throughout the summer in the event that space becomes available. That might mean pushing back when you sign that final lease for the other city. It might mean avoiding moving uh, until the last moment. And if you can do that, then you can remain under consideration longer than perhaps uh, you would otherwise, and that might increase your chances of being admitted if, if space becomes available. On occasion, Duke will choose candidates from the waitlist right up through the very last moment. And there are instances where good things can happen to waitlisted candidates who are persistent, thoughtful, and appropriate. A few years ago, I remember uh, we had a space right before school started. It was during our orientation program. And it was one space. We had not admitted very many folks from the wait list uh, uh, that year. Uh, And yet there was a candidate who had been persistent in a very professional way throughout the entire summer. And every three weeks or so, she had uh, communicated with us properly in a a very detailed way, explained why this was a good match that made sense 
to us. And so when we did have a space, it was very evident to us that that was the person that the space should go to. We gave her a call, and uh, unfortunately, she had just, she was from this part of the country and had just arrived on the other coast uh, with her U-Haul, but she had not yet unloaded the U-Haul, which was uh, helpful. Uh, And so she just turned around and drove uh, back to North Carolina and enrolled. Law school applicants will sometimes send in their deposits to several schools, which effectively prevents other candidates from getting those seats and leaves more of them on waiting lists. But Dean Geiger says lately, nationally, there's been less activity in admissions late in the season, partly because schools have figured out how to tell if applicants are reserving space at more than one law school. What happens now is, uh, at a, I think it's about June 15th, we get a report that gives us the names of everybody who's placed a deposit with our law school and has also placed a deposit with another law school. So we get the name of that person so we can get in touch with them and say, okay, it's middle of June, you've had an offer for six months, have you made up your mind? (laughs) And, you know, you can have a sort of one-on-one dialogue and figure out, you know, what are the person's plans. In the past, we were just shooting in the dark. We had no idea, you know, whether people had made commitments at four law schools or just our law school. And Levine says there's another aspect to being waitlisted. Sometimes I think law school applicants get caught up in the game of it and they want to be able to say they got into more law schools than anyone else on law school forums or discussion boards. And and I want to urge people to keep this in perspective. If you take yourself off a waitlist, then there's a spot that can go to someone else. And if someone does that at the school where you're waitlisted and really want to get in, you could be the beneficiary. So, you know, there's a little bit of karma that needs to go around here. Graham Richmond has this advice for waitlisted applicants. People do get in off the waitlist. I would say that's the one thing to take away from this is that it does feel like purgatory when you first are placed on a waitlist. But, you know, the, the earlier on that you get the news and the earlier that you can sort of begin your campaign, the better off you'll be. And, you know, they wouldn't have the list if they didn't take folks off of them. And, and so there are people who get in and you don't want to sit around and wallow and say, gosh, I, I haven't been admitted. I'm just on the waitlist. You want to be positive and try to take a glass half full approach and take steps to sort of bolster your your candidacy wherever possible. Dean Geiger of Cornell offers these words of wisdom. The main point that I make to people on the waiting list is stay active and stay flexible. And if you do that, you'll be in the best position to both get an offer and be able to accept it. Being waitlisted means that a school likes you, you're competitive, you're qualified, but that somebody else might be a bit more attractive or competitive. While it's a sign of interest from the law school, it can be frustrating for those who end up there. Our experts tell us to read your waitlist notification letter carefully, follow the directions precisely, and if it suggests you submit additional information, do so prudently and efficiently, as this is yet another test of your judgment, your analytical skills, and your written and oral advocacy skills. With increased numbers of applications and more applicants reserving multiple seats, there is that chance you will end up on a wait list at one of your top law school choices. To increase your odds of getting in, stay flexible, engaged, and optimistic. For more information, a transcript of this show, or to sign up to receive more Law School podcasts, visit www.lawschoolpodcaster.com. Look for us on Facebook and Twitter to get the latest news and insight into the world of law school. I'm Diana Jordan with Law School Podcaster. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more shows as we explore another topic of interest to help you succeed in the law school application process and beyond.